Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Good morning. If you are seated, you can take your mask off. But if you are standing and singing, you have to have your mask on. Well, this morning we are continuing in the book of the series of John. We are up to chapter 11, and I know you've brought your Bible with you, so open your Bible to chapter 11. We are almost halfway through the book of John. This is actually Pastor Randall's favorite book. He said, I I love the book of John. I said, you know, that's always, you know, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they're different to John. John's incredibly different. And remember, I'm going to say this until we finish doing the book of John, because it's really important to know why we're looking at the book of John. And the reason why we're looking at the book of John is because the purpose that it was written. And the purpose of the book of John is found in John chapter 20, verse 31. Say that with me. The book of John, its purpose is found, help me out because I'll just keep going back to the beginning. The book of John, its purpose is found, John chapter 20, verse 31. Why don't we read it together? But these things are written... Now, he's talking about everything that he's written. So that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of... How amazing, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. We sang that this morning. And that is why we're looking at the book of John. John is kind of like obsessed about the word believe, believers, believing, believe. In fact, it is mentioned, we'll throw this up, the key word is belief. Now, I'll just look at the screen so we do it in the right order. There is one reference to the word believers in the book of John. There are three about believing There are, next one, believers 11 times, believed 17 times, and believe 63 times. A total of 95 times, a reference to faith, believing, believed, believers, believing is mentioned. There are actually 589 scriptures in the book of John. And that is kind of like 11%, more than, just about, just under 11% of that word is in the book of John. And the word believe, because it's 63 times out of 95, two-thirds of that word is believe. So John is saying to us, guys, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have a life by the power of His name. And John wants us to focus on the whole thought of believe. You need to believe. So the question is, what does believe 
mean for us? This is what it means. It means to be persuaded. When I said to Pastor Pavey, I love you, she goes, I'm persuaded. She believed. She's a believer. It means to be persuaded. You had this thought, oh, yeah, I, I believe that. It means to place confidence in. It means to trust and to rely upon. That is what believing is all about. To be persuaded, to place confidence in, to trust, to rely upon. John wants us to believe. And the whole book of John is not about John. It's about Jesus. If you cast your mind back to the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. John wants us to focus on Jesus, believing in Jesus, having confidence in Him, trusting in Him, relying upon Him, regardless of what you're going through. In the Gospel of John, John makes I am statements. He's talking about how Jesus refers to himself when Jesus says, I am. There are actually seven in the Gospel of John. We, are, we have done four already, and we're coming up to the fifth one, which is really important for us as believers. And so I thought, let's just go back and reflect a little bit about the I am statements. There's seven We've done four, we're coming up to the fifth, but I want us to, and I think this is really important for us this morning, to have a look at the I am statements. And the first I am statement that Jesus makes is this. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, when Jesus said, I am, that's a direct parallel to the time when Moses was in the wilderness and he saw a burning bush and he didn't know what was going on because the bush was just burning. It was not being consumed. And he says, what's going on? And God says, I am. Now, that is a very specific word. And in the Hebrew, it means this because it does have a meaning. I am means this. I am who I am and what I need to be, I will be. That is who I am. That's incredible. Because Moses, one guy goes up against the most powerful guy in the world with a staff. He's going up against the most powerful guy in the world with the most powerful word in the world. Who sent you? I am sent me. Who shall I say? I, who sent me? I am. That's who I'm sending. And take that staff. So when Jesus says, I am, he is referring to his own divinity in this situation. And in fact, in this chapter here, chapter 11, it is so powerful because we see in it the divinity of Christ and we see the humanity of Christ in one. Because Jesus is totally God and He is totally man. If, if Jesus was not totally man, He would not be able to share with our sufferings. He would not be able to understand how we truly feel about things. He would never know what it was like to be tempted in any way, but he was tempted in every way. So he understands our weakness. He understands our frailty. But he is still God. He is God made manifest in the flesh, and that's called the incarnation of Christ. And so Jesus begins and he says, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Now, in that little kind of like chapter there, chapter 6, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were saying, huh, Moses gave us bread from heaven. Moses gave that to us. Now, be careful of your religion, folks, or being religious, because you can very quickly forget who the whole center of life is. And Jesus said, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. He said, my father sent it from above. And he said, I am the bread of heaven. And whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Amazing. What does that mean? It means this. You will, be, you will never have to be worried about being satisfied about anything else in life once you have Jesus. When I was growing up and I was a young man, it was just the other day, it seemed like. And I, I would ask this question, and perhaps maybe one or two of you have asked this question before. Why am I here? What is my purpose? And you know, I can honestly say that is probably the most asked question that I've had as a pastor besides what is the will of God for my life? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Great question. Well, I can tell you your purpose, if you like. Would you like to know what your purpose is? So there's no confusion? And I know when people ask that they're sincere, why, why am I here? What, what, what is this about? You see, once you have Christ in your life, you'll want for nothing else. In, I mean, look, I like doing things. I do. I, I like swimming in the ocean. I like diving with sharks when there are sharks. I like, you know, I like climbing to the top of mountains. I like doing that. I like riding my bike. I, I just like, I'm a doing type of guy. But they are nothing. They are nothing but dung in relation to Christ and knowing Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. You know what your purpose is? Your purpose can be this. It is to be like Jesus, to manifest the character and the nature of Jesus. That is your purpose. That's it. You are to be a disciple, to, to show the way of who Jesus is. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a nurse, an admin person, a mum or a dad, a barista, we need good barista, folks, or a salesperson. Before I went into the ministry, I was a salesperson and a manager. And that's it. But my responsibility and my purpose is to reflect the nature and the character of Jesus. Because I've got the bread of life, nothing else satisfies me. And to be everything, to be like Jesus, is to be like Jesus and to fulfill his purpose. So I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, wow, that's really, that's really cool. It doesn't matter who I am or what I do, as long as I do it through the expression of who Jesus is. And how do you do that? Well, let's move on to the second I am, and that's found in John chapter 8, verse 12. 
where Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You walk in the light. You be light. Be like Jesus. Jesus said to us, you are the what? The light of the world. And Jesus says, I am the light. He wants you to be light. Because when you are in light, there is no darkness in you. So I was thinking, okay, if I'm a salesperson and I am to fulfill my call, my destiny as that expression of who I am, I am to be light as a salesperson. And then I thought about this. You'll have to excuse me because sometimes I do think. I thought, I wonder what it would have been like if Jesus was a salesperson, a used car salesperson, a real estate salesperson. What do you think he would have been like? I'm looking for a good car. Well, have we got a deal for you, my friend? This car has concrete warranty. I went to buy a car once, and this guy said to me, I said, what's the warranty? He says, this is, a con- this is concrete warranty. I said, concrete warranty? What's concrete warranty? I thought he was going to say 12 months, 20,000 Ks, blah, blah, blah. No, no, he says, concrete warranty. I said, what, what, what's that? He says, as soon as you leave the concrete, there's no more warranty. If you keep it on the concrete, there's warranty. Wow. So I went to the next car yard. But what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? Don't buy that. That's a lemon, my friend. But this car here, this is a beauty. Have you ever met a salesman like that? Did anyone ever meet me when I was younger selling stuff? I was on this side, not that side. That's it. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus act in the work that you do, that you can shine? Let us be light. Let there be no darkness in your life. Let there, if you ever met someone, you go, something shady about them. Just can't put my finger on it, but perhaps they're not a Christian. Maybe as Pastor Ken said, they call themselves a Christian, a nominal Christian in name only. You know, when you meet some people, it's just like, yep, I've, I've got them. I understand them, well, as best as I can, but I got it. So Jesus says, I'm the bread of heaven. I am the light of the world. And here's the third one. He says, I am the gate. John chapter 10, verse 9. Pastor Pavey spoke about this. What a great message. It says this. He says, I am the gate. Those who come through me, now some versions of your Bible will say saved, will be saved, and some say safe. And it's kind of like, it does have a double meaning because we know that Jesus is the only way to be saved and he is the gate or the door or the entrance. But in this context of this scripture, as Pastor Pavey pointed out, that when they were out in the field, the shepherd would lie down across the entrance and he was the gate and the sheep on the inside were safe. And then if you read verse 10, it does even make more sense because we all know what John 10, 10 says, don't we? I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance, but the thief comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy, to take the sheep. 
So, Jesus literally means that he keeps you safe. I was talking to someone just recently, and we were talking about church life. And they said, you know, church should be a safe place. Anyone say amen to that? It should be a safe place. You know, Christians should be safe people. Pastors should be safe people, really. The whole church should be safe. Unfortunately, it's not. Can I just say this? Our heart as individuals and as Christians, we are to be safe people. That when someone comes to us, they can feel safe if they're going to want prayer or want encouragement or want direction. This church, I declare to you, is a safe place. Amen? And you know what? When you have a safe place, you don't have to worry about what's happening on the outside of the place. Jesus said, I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the light of the world. I am the gate. And then Pastor Ken spoke about, I am the good shepherd. I love that. Listen to what it says after that. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now that word means sacrifice is giving up, sacrificially. Give sacrificially. Now wherever your mind went, stop. If it went to finances, stop. It means whatever needs to be given and sacrificed by you in relation to other people, sacrifice. You know, the greatest sacrifice that you can make is the same sacrifice that Jesus made. And do you know what that was? If we just put it in a nutshell, besides his life, you know what he gave? He gave his time. He came out of a place where there is no time. No time. No time. But he came and he gave us his time. When little children would come to him and run around him and they'd be excited, what did Jesus say? It's great. What were the disciples saying? I'm sorry, but uh, he's got an appointment at four o'clock. He needs to be over there with the people to feed the 5,000, okay? We've only got a couple of bread and a few fish. Children... No. He said, leave them alone, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Give them your time. Give people your time. Have you ever been talking to someone and they're like this on the phone? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing really good. Oh, hang on. There's my friend in Africa who's just eating a pizza. It's far more important than you at the moment. Oh, look at that. There's a ducky. I love duckies. Give them your time. When we go out and have dinner, my wife always grabs my phone and puts it away. (laughs) Wise wife. Okay, okay, I know, I know. Give people your time. I hate this phrase. Hey, friend, how are you going? I am so busy. 
I've got so much on. Really? I've got to get through a whole four weeks of Netflix series. I'm so busy, I've got to watch it all at once. Please, release me. Let me go. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life. He gives his time for us. I loved it how Pastor Ken used that that story of that little sheep. What was that sheep's name? Itchy feet. He said, itchy feet's in the shepherd fold. You know what? I thought about his brother, Scratchy. Scratchy bottom. Itchy feet and scratchy bottom. How cool is that? You know, we're all a little bit different, aren't we? Itchy feet and scratchy bottom. Did I say bottom in church? Jesus, forgive me. And forgive Pastor Ken for leading me in that place. Seriously, he said itchy feet, and I thought I was sitting there going, and scratchy bottom. <laughs> it was the friend that you gave me. The greatest gift you can give is the gift of time, because that's what the great shepherd. You see, the I am statements are descriptive of who Jesus is in order that we may believe in him and know him. That's what it's about, these I am statements. You see, once we have a revelation of Jesus, we need to be the revelation of Jesus. Our purpose in life is to believe through that belief, to reflect the nature and the character of Christ. So that's my introduction. And you may laugh, but it is. Let's go to John chapter 11, verse 1 to 44. And I'm just going to read through this, and I just want to make comment because I think there is some great things in here that we can kind of like draw on for our life. So this is the story of Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus. Let me ask you this question. Is this the story of Lazarus, or is this the story of Jesus? It's about resurrection. And we hear people use that term. You know, sometimes a politician, well, he's had a resurrection. He might have blown it last week, but now he's back on top. Or a sports person. Maybe you've had a Lazarus moment in your life. The answer, my friend, is always Jesus. This is about Jesus. The miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is the last public miracle. The last public miracle that he does. That's really important. The last thing that the people of the world see is him raising Lazarus from the dead. There is another miracle that takes place, but takes place in the garden when Peter, as fast as he could, pulls out his sword, lops off the ear of Malchus, who is actually a servant of the high priest, where they eventually take Jesus to have him crucified. Think about that. Here's the servant standing there while they are saying, Jesus is going to die. And Malchus is thinking, this guy just put my ear back on. How bizarre is that? How would you feel if you were in that situation? I'd be, don't do it, don't do it. This guy, he healed me. And that's the last miracle that we see. 
But publicly, Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, is the last public miracle. It is the pinnacle moment of the, of the ministry of Jesus that takes place here. There is nothing greater in the miracles of Jesus than this, the raising of Lazarus. Now, I know there was the raising of Jairus' daughter, but she had just died. And then there's the widow Nain, whose son that they're carrying off to go and get buried, is raised from the dead. But this, the guy has been dead for four days. There's nothing greater than this. The reason, one of the reasons is, four days, the Jews, and there is no scriptural proof or evidence of this, the Jews believed that when a person died, the spirit of that person hovered over the body for two days. That's what they believed. But this is four days. Every other miracle is second place to this. But think about this. Jesus heals someone who cannot see. He heals someone who cannot see. And imagine being that person you cannot see. Then all of a sudden, you see your wife, you see your daughter and your son-in-law and your son and your daughter, you see your friends and your family, you see the trees and the sky, you see water, you see the dirt, you see the buildings, you see food. Their whole life has changed. Amazing miracle. What about the deaf and the dumb? They could not speak. They couldn't say what they wanted to say. They couldn't hear what was going on. They couldn't hear the sound of music. They couldn't hear the sound of laughter. And when they do, they're overwhelmed that they can speak and say, I love you. They can speak and say, yes and no. And they can hear the sounds they've never heard before. That's dramatic change in a person's life. Or a lame person who's been there for years, lying, depending on other people to throw them coins. How degrading is that? How low is that? Then all of a sudden, they can walk and they can stand on their own two feet and they can go from here to there. Their life has changed. Their life has become alive. And what about a leper? A leper's been separated from his family, from his community, from his friends. He's on the outside and his skin is bubbling and it's sore and it's bleeding and things of his fingers are dropping off and he can't pick things up and Jesus touches him and makes him whole and his skin is like a baby's. Wow, they're amazing miracles, life-changing. If you put yourself in the place of a person who received one of those miracles, you would be overwhelmed with emotion. But this miracle changes everything because it changed a moment in time for us to connect with. Nothing shows who Jesus is greater than this moment, that he has power over death. This is the reason that the Son of God was made manifest, that he would destroy the works of the evil one, that he would overcome sin and death. Do you know you sitting here this morning, think about it for a moment, you can overcome sin and death. You can transition from this life to the next without any fear, without any worry, without any stress or anxiety, and you can walk boldly into the throne of God. In this reference of John chapter 1, sorry, John 11, 
verse 1 to 44, there are seven references about believe. Let's read it and look at the greatest miracle of all. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured out the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. And so they decided to do something. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. And so when this messenger comes to Jesus, and when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it will happen for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. This happens so that God will receive glory. Verse 5. So though, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Got a friend who's sick. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And they're going, shouldn't we go? Should, shouldn't you go and just see Lazarus? <laughs> I love Jesus. I cannot tell you how many times I've had to wait for him to come when there's been a need. Oh, perhaps God has us waiting so that God can get the glory in our life. So though all he, although he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. They go, oh, no, hang on. Rabbi, they said only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? We don't want to go. We don't want to go to Bethany. Bethany is two miles east of Jerusalem. We don't want to go. No, no. They, Jesus, do you remember what happened? Jesus never forget, folks. Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of the daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have light of this world. But at night, there is danger from stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. Why didn't Jesus say exactly what was going on? Hmm. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. Do you know that a lot of doctors, you know, when they come across someone who is sick, you know what they will say to them sometimes? Well, most of them, you just need to go home and get a little rest. Just have a little lie down, have a little sleep. And that was a very common thought. If you were sick, you just need to rest. If you're anxious and overtired and worried about things, perhaps you just need to go down and have a little nap. I have naps all the time. I come home from work and I sit in the chair and I 
instantly. I can lie down on rocks and nap, folks. Seriously, if I wanted to, I can tell you, I could lie down now and have 15 minutes. Sometimes even in my office, I will put four chairs together. I'm not telling you this for any other reason, but I want to relate to you. And I just, I just feel so, and I go, 15 minutes later, I'm alive. The disciple said, Lord, if he is sleeping, then it, 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 he will soon get better. And they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus was, had died. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Sometimes Jesus is glad he's not with us. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, and here is the first, believe. For now, you will really believe. Now you're really going to believe, folks. Come, let's go. Then Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, uh, let's go. Let's go too and die with Jesus. Who invited this guy to the party? There's always one guy in the party who goes, well, let's do it. Let's go and die. We're going to die. <sighs> he is a cracker. I love Thomas. He was so passionate. He wasn't scared. He was just passionate for God. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. And Jesus went, oh my goodness, I'm so shocked. Jesus already knew that he was dead. Jesus is never surprised. Do you know, nothing ever occurs to God. Nothing, because he's God. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told Lazarus was dead in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Hmm. Let's continue. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Now we're going to read verse 21. Now, sorry, verse 20. Now, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Now, if you've got a pen, I want you to underline. If you've got one of these old-fashioned Bibles, all right? I want you to underline these words, okay? Martha said to Jesus, here's the words, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just underline that for me. Or keep your finger there, all right? Lord, if you'd only been here. Lord, if you'd only been in the situation I'm at at work. Lord, if you had only been here. Have you ever said that to God? Lord, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, that's a lie for starters. He knows exactly what you're going through. But Lord, if you, 
if you had been here. Perhaps you're in that situation now in your life and you're saying, Lord, are you there? Are you there? The answer is yes, he's there. He's always there. You know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. It doesn't matter what you're going through, he's there. You might not feel it, you might not sense it, but he's there. When we worship this morning, he's here. He's here. That's all there is to it. But Martha says, Lord, if you'd only been here, then my brother wouldn't have died. And verse 22, she goes on and she says this, but, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Whoa. Something's going on. Something's ticking in her heart. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Oh, okay. She says, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Now, in verse 25 and 26, we have the second, the third, and the fourth believe. Watch this. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, yes, Martha, and he will rise, said Martha, he will rise. Verse 25, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Anyone who believes in me will live. I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I give you resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. Everyone who, even after dying, you will live. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And here is the fourth one. Do you believe this Martha? You know, when God is working in your life and you are growing and being fed by God's Word and you're in prayer, often He will say, do you believe this? Do you believe that I can do this? Do you think I'm able to do this? Do you believe this, Martha? And here is the perfect answer. Verse 27, the perfect answer. Yes, Lord, she told him. Listen to this. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. What is our reference for John's Gospel? John 20, verse 31. These things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And here we have a confession by this woman. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Then she returned to Mary. So Martha goes to Jesus because he's outside of the town. He's in, in the area. Martha is so encouraged, yes, I believe, she runs back and she gets Mary. And she says, shh, 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 Jesus is out there. <laughs> then she returned to Mary and she called Mary aside from the mourners. Oh, the mourners. Mm. Do you know 
that their culture was this. When a person died, they would mourn for seven days with professional mourners and wailers and criers. Seven days. Oh, Pastor Jim's gone. (laughs) I'm expecting it. Did you go, yay? (laughs) Yay. She said that in love. Seven days of mourning and wailing. He's been dead for four days. They're right in the middle of the wailing time, right? Right in the middle, crying. When the seven days was up, all right, then there was 30 days of continued mourning, not with the big professional mourners that you would, and wailers you would pay for. The mourners and the wailers sounds like a band, doesn't it? Another 30 days of wailing, well, of crying. But in those 30 days, do you know what they would do? They would sit around and they would tell the stories of that person who had died. Ah, oh, do you remember good old Pastor Jim? When he got on his motorbike and he was at Lakeside Raceway and he went round the corner, second last lap, came off, broke his arm. Ah, oh, and then he was telling us he was sucking on the green tube and everything went silver. Do you remember? Ah, oh, good old Pastor Jim. Do you remember the time Pastor Jim went shark diving and there were no sharks? Ah, oh, good old Pastor Jim. Do you remember that time Pastor Jim spilt coffee all over himself? Ah, oh, good old Pastor Jim. I can go on forever if you want me to. But that's what they would do. They'd tell stories and they would laugh. It would be a great time of mourning. Oh, isn't there a scripture in the Bible that says, you've turned my mourning into dancing? Because mourning is not always about depression. It's about remembering and laughing, being joyful about a person's life. So they would do that. And right in the middle, middle of this of these four days of intense, folks, intense screaming and crying and mourning and wailing. Martha runs to Mary and says, Jesus is out there. And she goes, thank goodness for that. And she skedaddles. Now, look at this. (laughs) This is so good. This is what it goes. We'll go from verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, underline that one and then draw a line to verse 21 and just see how close it is to verse 21. It is word for word. Martha says, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Mary rocks up and sees Jesus and she says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. You know what was going on in that household after Lazarus had died? Well, if Jesus had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Exact same words. Jesus helps her, Martha, get over the deal and say, do you believe? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Then Mary shows up and she says exactly the same thing. And what does Jesus do? Oh my goodness, here we go again. No, he doesn't. Because that's what I would have done. I just told you. But in that house, you be careful what you say in your home. Oh, if Jesus had been here, you know, we wouldn't have died. Oh, if Jesus had been here. see, And it was just all that negativity that ground into their heart. 
So much so, folks, that they said exactly the same words and they didn't even know. Your faith has to be up because our God is a God of redemption, a God of healing, a God of wholeness. And if you're walking through something deep, you know he will deliver you. So what does Jesus do? Well, as soon as Mary said that, verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up in him and he was deeply troubled. That word there, this is in the New Living Translation, that it, it says here, a deep anger. That is an anger in the spirit of a person. You've ever been angry from here? And it's like, I'm just going to do something about that. That deep anger is an internal, alive awakening of your spirit where you say, I'm ready for battle. I don't care what they say, I'm going for it. And that deep anger, at that moment, Jesus was battling sin and death. It's almost as if, this is what it says in the Greek, it says, it's almost as if Jesus says, I've had enough of death. I've had enough of sickness. He was angry. He was, when he saw her weeping, he, he welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. And then he asked this, where have you put him? And he told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The greatest moment of his humanity is when he wept. You want to know if you're human? You cry. You ever seen something and you just start crying? A movie, a sunset, you know? He's totally divine and he's totally human. We see this in one picture. It's amazing. And the people who were standing nearby see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. read that again. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. Roll it aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, listen to this, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. So I went on a little search. What would it be like for someone who had been dead for 96 hours? There's a process which the body goes through. And I'm not going to be graphic, but I think it's important. Because you see, they, they would wrap the body when it was dead in linen cloths, maybe about that thick and long. And then they would put scent on the body so that when the body started to decay, there wouldn't be this terrible smell. Because as you were growing up, if you passed a tomb and there was a waft of air coming from a cave or tomb, you'd go, oh, that, the body is decaying. This is what takes place. 
The first thing that stops is obviously the heart. The body cells are deprived of oxygen and they begin to die. The cells in your body begin to die. Muscles begin to stiffen and what sets in is known as rigor mortis and it sets in within the first three hours. By 24 hours, the body has lost all heat. It's cold. After 36 hours, the muscles begin to lose their rigidity and they begin to soften. And by 72 hours, the body is completely soft. All stiffness is gone. Then the cells in your body begin to die. And bacteria goes to work. And your body is filled with bacteria. And it begins to attack, breaking down the cells. The, de the decomposing tissues begin to release hydrogen sulfide and methane as well as other gases and a horrible smell is emitted and that's why Martha said he's been dead for four days I think the King James Version says he stinketh by now it will be a terrible don't don't do it now look at what Jesus does this is so incredible because he's, he's trying to, Jesus is trying to pull us forward in our faith all the time. Look what he says. He says, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe in resurrection? Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you would just believe? She's thinking, oh, it's going to be terrible. Don't do it, Jesus. But then Jesus takes us back. Didn't, didn't I tell you? What has he told you? What has he told you in your heart about what's going to take place in your life? What promise has he given you? What hope, what faith has he placed there? Didn't I tell you? If you would just believe. She must have agreed because the scripture says this. So they rolled the tombstone away. And then Jesus looked to heaven and he prays this incredible prayer, an acknowledgement of his father. Father, thank you for hearing me. You know, if you pray, folks, why don't you start like that from now on? Father, thank you that you are hearing me. And continue it like this. You always hear me. Thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of the people standing there, standing here, and here's the last one, so that they will believe you sent me, so that they could trust, so that they could rely upon, so that they could be confident that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Man. 
God. Unwrap him and let him go. And then they all went and had a cup of coffee and some biscuits after church. What do you think happened then? A couple of people went, our spirit was Jesus. Kudos to you. Man, they would have been jumping out of their skins. They, were, they would have been more excited than a barefooted farmer in a pickle patch. They would have been excited about it. Because Jesus did and showed who he was in a moment. That he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and death had no power over him. I'll tell you what happened. Let's read the next verse, verse 45, which falls into the next thing. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. How cool is that? And this is what John writes about and focuses on so that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And regardless of what we're going through and the pain and the struggle and the anger and the frustration, He's the Messiah, the Son of God. We just have to believe and He'll raise the dead. I want you to stand with me this morning. And I want you, I want you to focus on what you are in at that moment. You know, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I've left a couple of things out there. You know, Martha, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then she's saying, no, 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 don't open the tomb. You know, she was probably legally responsible and could have stopped Jesus from doing that but she had to give up that right. Jesus already knew that Lazarus was dead. And he wasn't worried about the deal because it was done for the glory of God. What are you in at the moment? And you're thinking, I don't know if I can believe. I want you to say, yes, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. You know, we, we sang that this morning. There's no other name but the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think in your heart. Just as we sing that this morning, what you're going through, the challenge that you're having, and I just want you to focus and get those words in your mind, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Lord God, whatever you're going to do, do it for the glory of God. Do it for the glory of God. For your glory, God. For your glory. For your glory, God. For your glory, God. Jesus. 
Jesus, lover of my soul. Whatever's in your heart, whatever's there that's troubling you, let's just sing this through once. Your confession of faith is I believe. Thanks, Angie. I believe. beautiful name. In the name of Jesus. Because you have defeated death. You have defeated sin. And I pray, O oh God, for all of us, myself included. Lord, when we're going through things, we're going to believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. We're going to trust in you. We're going to completely wholehearted have confidence in you. I pray for your comfort of the Holy Spirit to be upon every heart this morning. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, never surrendered your life to Him. All you have to do is just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent and I confess my sin. I turn away from my sin. And I turn to you. And I thank you for your life that you laid down on the cross for me. And you gave up your life so that I could have life now and a resurrected life in you. Because you are the resurrection and you are the life. And Father, this morning we surrender ourselves afresh to you and believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, and that you will never leave us, nor forsake us. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.